0: Simsisms
1: embolizes. This is what, you know, this draft kind of, you know, uh, embolizes altogether.
0: Embolizes? Embolizes. We have a new (laughs) Simsism. What the hell is Embolizes? Thank you. We're going to have to (laughs) save (laughs) (laughs) it until Monday. See you you Monday.
1: (laughs) Simsisms.
0: See you Monday, and it is Monday, and we finally got a chance. To properly add embolizes to the ever-growing Simsism library. Good morning, Christopher. I hope you had a pleasant three-day weekend. I did. Just a lot of stuff that we talked about Friday, Shereen Williams and I, setting the table for what we didn't believe would be a Jamal Adams trade. More on that on a, in, in a second. Well, but, you know, the, the big news is this, and we're going to get into Jamal Adams. The big news is this. Football's here. Yeah. It's starting. Right. We don't know how it's going to go, but it's here. This is it. The slow time's over. There wasn't a slow time this year. But we are here. It is arriving. And now this grand experiment of pro football in a pandemic is going to commence.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, two things. First off, let me defend myself off the Simsism, okay? And like make some logic of it, because I know it doesn't make a lot of logic. But I combine Keep two digging. I combine Rock two bottom. words. Keep two digging. words. Symbolize and epitomize. See? I mean it really it's just a little harder hitting that way, okay? And now back to the point, you're right, Mike. It is, I mean, I think every day that goes by, I start to feel a little bit better. Like, okay, things are moving in the right direction. We're seeing more news and action go on on the NFL front. And, you know, just from the conversation I had with, you know, my good buddy Kyle Shanahan some other coaches around the NFL, I think all of them are encouraged too by what they're seeing put in place as far as protocols. So uh, I'm hopeful. We're going down the right road. Let's just keep our fingers crossed.
0: There is no question that the NFL will have high-level protocols in the facility, on the sidelines, while traveling, everything designed to keep guys from getting and spreading the virus. That all goes out the window when it's time to put 22 guys onto a football field. And that's what's going to make this an even more fascinating season. There's going to be more anticipation for week one than ever before because everyone's staying in their individual bubble until week one and then we find out when they intermingle what's going to happen after that it's going to be a season unlike any other And we're going to talk about the agreement that was reached between the nfl and the nflpa to allow the season to proceed before that though the agreement that was reached on saturday out of the blue between the new york jets and the seattle seahawks they've been recent trade partners in the not too distant past but now boom jamal adams wanting out of new york getting out of New York, getting to the Seattle Seahawks for two first round picks, a third round pick this year, safety Bradley McDougald, Jamal Adams, and a fourth round pick in 2022 make the trek from New York to Seattle. Chris, I was stunned that the Jets were able to get this kind of a haul. And this reminds me of the conversations we had last October as it related to Jalen Ramsey. There are certain offers you cannot refuse. And Joe Douglas, the GM of the Jets, almost used that exact quote from The Godfather. They made us an offer we couldn't ignore. No, they made you an offer you couldn't refuse. I don't care how good Jamal Adams is. Two ones and a three and Bradley McDougald for Adams and a four in 2022. You can't say no to that.
1: No, you can't say no to that. Uh, you, you can't. It's, it's, it's beautiful, especially when you know a guy that you're looking to trade doesn't want to be on your football team anymore. So... Yeah, I mean, awesome for for the Jets. Yeah, you got to take that deal, certainly, when you know you got to pay a guy and he's disgruntled. I also say awesome for the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, go for it, Seattle. The time is now. You know, you got Russell Wilson signed up. He's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. He's the type of quarterback that if you can get into the Final Four or the Super Bowl game, the Final Two, he can make plays to win you that game even though you might not be the better team on the field that day. And a guy like Jamal Adams, of course, ups the ante on the defensive side of the ball. And it's a really important position for that defense, Mike. I think it's something they've been missing and trying to find a replace ever since Cam Chancellor hurt his neck. And that's the position he'll play. And I think that's that's why it's special. You know, th- this is an important Derwin James drafted for the Los Angeles Chargers. Same defensive scheme, same position. So now you got a guy, Jamal Adams, in Seattle. I think a team that's really set up to kind of make a run for the next four or five years. He's playing a key position. And I love Cam Chancellor, but he ain't as talented as Jamal Adams is. Jamal Adams, Mike, you you, you hear me out here. This might be a – you can make – he's in the conversation for, I think, that – second best defensive player in football. He really is for my money. You know, Aaron Donald's one, but I think there, you know, you go through that long list of next guys. I go, man, Jamal Adams is in that, that long list there.
0: And you're right. It fits the scheme. Look at who they deal with in the NFC West. Currently the toughest division in all of football with the Rams, the 49ers and the Cardinals. Kyler Murray is ascending. The 49ers are the 49ers and the Rams, once they stabilize after all the departures that they've seen, and if Jared Goff can turn it around, they're going to need defenses that can slow them down. So I think from that perspective, it makes sense. And something Coach Pete Carroll told Peter King for Football Morning in America, the Seahawks haven't drafted above number 25 in round one in 10 years. And that's a point we make when questions come up about franchise tag players. You know, two first-round picks is what you have to give up to get a guy who's franchise-tagged Well, it's one thing for a perennially crappy team to give up two first-round picks. It's quite another for the Patriots to give up two first-round picks. And the Seahawks fall into that same category. There's a huge split between 1 and 32. And when you are traditionally congregating near the bottom of the round, two first-round picks don't have the same sizzle that it would if the Browns in past years— the Bengals in recent years.
1: Sure. The Jaguars in most years. Right. Would be giving up two first-round picks. Right. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, you know, I think anybody with a sensible mind right here could sit here and just go, whether you like the Seahawks or not, go, Oh, yeah, I don't think any of those picks are going to be anywhere before pick 22 in the draft. And I would say that's being kind for the way that team's set up. And then I think it's a great point either way, you know, with, Peter, with Pete Carroll and John Schneider, I mean, these are guys that have showed us that, you know, first-round picks. First off, they didn't build their team. They built their team on second, third, fourth, fifth-round picks. I mean, that's what they've done. That's why they've hung around here for the last decade in a row, or last ten years in a row, uh, because of their ability to same draft thing. mid-rounds. I know, same thing. I just want to clarify. But the decade
0: in a row, I understand. You know, decade in a right. row, one one decade in a
1: row is still technically accurate. I know yes. you're trying to force some more entries into simsisms but that doesn't count. <laughs> no, it doesn't so. count. But uh, I mean, uh, so from that, you know, I think when you just add it up from Seattle standpoint and you go, wait, Russell Wilson in his prime. Okay. We've kind of rebuilt our team here the last few years to where, yeah, it's not perfect, but it's kind of all culminating into, whoa. we think we got something here to be one of the better teams in football for the next few years. And then you go, all right, Bobby Wagner's getting a little older. We drafted Jordan Brooks in the first round out of Texas Tech. Okay. We'll be able to replace him in the next year or two. And then You know, Cam Chancellor, that was a special guy, a special part. You have to have a special skill set to play that position. You know, uh, again, think about what that guy is going to have to do in that Seattle defense, right, Mike? You got to take on pulling guards. You got to you got to play like a linebacker in the run game, and then in the pass game, all of a sudden you got to be like, oh no, you need to run with Travis Kelsey. Oh, we need you out of the backfield against Alvin Kamara, and you got to do that too. So it's a really special skill set of a guy there, and Jamal Adams certainly can do that, and I think it's just a perfect fit as far as system wise and what Seattle's trying to do right now. And uh, you know, that's why I like the trade from Seattle's standpoint a whole lot.
0: The one thing I do not like about the trade from Seattle's standpoint is the failure to sign him to a new contract yeah. on the way through the door. This is now a thing right? in the NFL. When the Texans did it with Laramie Tunsil last year, Labor Day weekend, as the rosters were moving down to 53, we we all were like, what? what? And, and the jokes were plentiful because the Texans didn't have a GM at the time. Right. But to give up multiple first round picks for Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills, And you don't get a new deal with Tunsil on the way in the door. You give the player more leverage. And what did we see? A three-year, $66 million extension for Tunsil this year. $22 million a year in new money. And then the Rams do the same thing with Jalen Ramsey during the season. They don't get him signed to a new deal. They give up two ones and a four to get him. And now Ramsey's got all the leverage. And the Rams are looking at the very real possibility of giving up two ones and a four for a guy that they have for a year and a half. Which is unthinkable and would be unforgivable if it happened. So now here are the Seahawks with a guy who won't be disgruntled on the way through the door in Seattle, but he has a history of being disgruntled and he's got a history of acting out and he's got a history of speaking out. And if he has a big year this year, and they don't offer him the kind of money he's looking for. And I've seen upwards of $20 million a year when the safety market, Chris, is currently below $15 million a right. year. If Jamal Adams gets it in his head that he's worth $20 million a year, if it's that Julio Jones dynamic that we saw in Atlanta a couple of years ago where you say, oh, the quarterback's making $35 million a year, I'm at least worth half that. I'm worth more than half that on the defense. I'm the Russell Wilson of the defense. Then the next thing you know, a year from now or less than that, You've got Jamal Adams, who's got all the leverage because they've already made the investment with the draft picks. If he decides he's going to start treating the Seahawks the way he treated the Jets, then the whole thing blows up in their face.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, it it is definitely risky. There's no doubt about that. Now, you know, Seattle's ultimate has the ultimate confidence in their culture and the environment and just the enthusiasm that's in that building on a day to day basis. I mean, anybody I've ever talked to, that's all they ever that's all they ever say. (laughs) I know.
0: Until they have to run off half the team because they're sick of dealing with the guys. Well, no doubt but about until it. They, until they until they reach their wit's end, it's all great.
1: Well, you're right, but they're not scared of it. That's that's what we know. They're not scared of personalities. But you're right. They're gonna at some point have to deal with this. You know, pay the Pied Piper here with Jamal Adams. I mean, hey, I, you know, twenty million a year. You know, when I hear that right now, I go, that's a little crazy. Like you said, nobody's making fifteen. Let's just start at eighteen. You know, seventeen. Okay, let's not just blow the market out of the water here but either way yes that day is going to come I do think Seattle realizes of course how special the football player is and how important that position is to make their defense successful and let me just throw this into it too because this is worthwhile my father always points this out to me with Jamal Adams and I think it's a real point Because, yes, he wants his money, and we all sit here and, you know, oh, gosh, you're making good money, and I get it, you know. Yes, athletes are spoiled a little bit, but this is their great talent in life, and they got to capitalize. Jamal Adams' father, George Adams, played running back for the New York Giants. My dad would tell you that he was going to be a superstar, that he thought, oh, my gosh, we might have one of the best running backs in football. Well, He played one season, going into training camp his second year. He had the Bo Jackson injury, right? His hip dislocated. He tore the labrum around his hip. Never really got to make any money, do anything in his whole career. I really think that is in Jamal Adams, his his brain. How could it not be when that happened to his father? So because of that, I think he's, you know, kind of – Dri- driven the stake into the ground a little bit and wants to be paid. Now, this will cool him off for a little bit, but you're right. At some point, he's going to go, okay, somebody pay me my freaking money. I'm one of the best defensive players in football, and hopefully Seattle's smart and does that some point during the season.
0: I want to flip over to the Jets angle, Chris. Before I do that, though, I have an idea of one last point as it relates to the Seahawks right. and Jamal Adams and paying Jamal Adams, and I am going to tell everyone Check out PFTOT on Peacock, YouTube, wherever, because we're gonna we have a we have a lead topic for PFTOT. We'll get to that after the show, but there's too many other things to get to than to have me babble on and on for possibly 10 minutes about this theory that just popped into my head while we were talking about this. All right, from the Jets perspective, as we've already said, it's an offer you can't refuse. Two first round picks, even if they're going to be low a third-round pick, a safety to replace Jamal Adams, and you give up a four along with Adams in 2022, you can't say no to that, especially when you have a guy who does not want to right. be there and a guy who has just gone scorched earth. Now, here's the thing.
1: Scorched earth.
0: The trade the trade was in the works before Jamal Adams decided to tweet in disapproving fashion regarding the allegations made last week against Jets owner Woody Johnson in his capacity as U.S. ambassador to Great Britain. The trade was in the works when Jamal Adams decided to go on the record with fellow founding member of the Adam Gase hater club Manish Mehta and the two of them just unloaded on Gase. The deal was already in the works. This wasn't the last domino that got the deal done, that got the Jets to relent. This wasn't the trigger to make the deal happen out of thin air. The deal was already happening. I'm told that the reason it happened Saturday is because on Friday, that's when everything crystallized as to what the salary cap will be this year and next year, and that's when everyone was satisfied we can do this deal and move forward. It had nothing to do with what Jamal Adams said. So the end result is, Chris, all that stuff Jamal Adams did last week – it was gratuitous. Yeah. And if anything, it potentially could have blown it up. What if the Seahawks had... Yeah, and the Seahawks could have squeezed the Jets on this, and they said, well, you know, we were going to give you two twos and a three and Bradley McDougall before Friday, but... Now that your guy is going crazy here and going all in on Adam Gase, and you guys have an untenable situation, we're not going to. We're not so inclined to give you all that stuff now. We're going to peel back that third round pick. We're going to maybe make that first round pick in 2022 a second round pick. What could the Jets have done? So Jamal Adams could have jeopardized the trade with that desire to
1: take a shot at Adam Gase last weekend. Yeah. um, I mean, when you hear that, you just go, well, yeah, what the hell are you thinking? Jamal Adams? Why would you do that? Why would you risk it? Why would you let Pete Carroll and John Schneider who are sitting there and you obviously know there's, there's action behind the scenes as far as your agent, the jets and the Seattle Seahawks. Why would you even put in their you know, in their brains at all that like, man, This guy, is he a jerk or, you know, is he a bad guy? Like, you know, and especially because they know, they know he knows that this trade talk's going down and he's still doing these type of things. So, yeah, I did not like that. I'm not going to lie here. I mean, as much as I like Jamal Adams and the way he plays football, and I've been around Jamal a lot of times, a few times, he's a fun guy. He really is. He's intense. He's intense in real life, too, but you know, I don't like the shots at Adam Gase on the way out the door. You know, when you know you want out the door, you're trying to get out the door, you're doing anything you can to do that. You know, Adam Gase for whatever reason people like to pile on him at times and I don't understand that either. And you know, Menish meta, I mean, you know, who, you know, I don't I mean don't, don't even get me started on that subject either. I mean, I got hey, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean,
0: this is this is but the equivalent. But it's not cool. Remember in school, remember remember in school when the teacher forgot to assign homework, Right. And you're always thinking, hey, is she going to remember before we go out the door on Friday afternoon? Jamal Adams was the guy who stood in the doorway and made fun of the teacher for not assigning homework on the way out the door. That I mean, he jeopardized this deal that hasn't come out yet. But common sense tells me you jeopardize that deal, because if you're dealing with another team and maybe John Schneider decided not to take advantage of this, but he could have. And you could argue if you're a Seahawks fan, he should have. You put the screws to the Jets and you say to them, hey, you, you, you've got a you've got a mess here. We we will not do this deal on these terms. Not now. Circumstances have changed because Jamal ran ran off his mouth and it it was it was dumb. He could have potentially blown the whole thing up and found himself stuck with the Jets. Or not going to the Seahawks, a team where he presumably will be happy because it's going to be a much better team than the Jets have been during his career.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the thing I think about too is, I mean, maybe did, did you know did Jamal Adams, as the conversations were going down, did he think they were the Jets were trying to drive too hard of a bargain or yeah. something like that, and within that, was he trying to lower his price to help Seattle out that way? I mean, those are things that pop- it didn't. I know it didn't. It didn't. You're right. I- it- Here's here's my theory. Yeah. My theory is he wasn't fully informed
0: of what was going on because I the the you know whether it's agents or Joe Douglas, the GM of the Jets or anybody else. I mean, if Jamal Adams has that information, who knows what he's going to do with that information? Yeah, okay. And maybe that information gets out prematurely. Right. So he Jamal didn't Adams know how far down the
1: road the maybe. conversation was. Maybe. Right. I hear you. Maybe. I hear maybe. you. Maybe. Yeah. So. Well, hey, either way, you know, the Jets got rid of him. It was an issue. You know, obviously. And, you know, the Jets, anyways, they're a team that this is a good move for them. Yeah, I mean, it's never easy to trade away a great player like Jamal Adams. But the Jets, come on. Jets fans know this. Everybody knows this. They're not one guy away right now. There are a whole plethora of guys away still. I mean, they're really, they're almost back in rebuild mode. Um, and Adam Gase has got an unbelievable GM there behind him now, finally, and Joe Douglas, who, I mean, killed it in free agency. I thought killed it in the draft. He's given us every inkling so far that he'll know what to do with it You know, as far as these draft picks, when they they come about, and maybe they can build something here substantial. But I didn't look at the Jets as going, ooh, you know, this is the year. This this is the year they're going to go to the playoffs. No, I I still look at them as a team to go, no, they're two years away and and really probably three years away from really being like, okay, we're a team that's one of the better teams in AFC, or at least getting in that conversation.
0: But that's hardly ideal when you've got a rookie quarterback. I know. Uh, not a rookie quarterback, but a quarterback on his rookie contract. This is the time to load the cannon and go for it before you have to pay the quarterback that it may be that they are starting to emerge and have it all fall together just as they have to make a decision on Sam Darnold. And I, I, I I think it's way too early to say that the jets have committed to making a major investment in Sam Darnold on a second contract. I mean, he could be gone a year from now too, but you know, the jets uh, did what they had to do here. And if you'd have told me on Friday when we were digesting the comments from Jamal Adams about Adam Gase and the wreckage of that potentially and how hard it would be to trade him and how awkward it's going to be when Adams shows up this week because he made it clear he was going to show up, the idea of getting two first-round picks plus for Jamal Adams would have been incomprehensible. So, yes, this is a deal the Jets had to do, and they needed to make a break from that that situation because it just wasn't working. Regardless of who's at fault— it wasn't working. And their first-round picks have not been working. Their first-round picks from 2013 to 2017 are all gone. And now that's all pre-Joe Douglas right. and pre-Adam Gase, but they're all gone. I mean, they have done a poor job. The John Idzik and Mike McCagnan regimes were abject failures yeah. for the New York Jets, and now they're just trying to rebuild it. Yep. And they're going to rebuild it with a pair of first-round picks in 2021 and a pair of first-round picks in 2022, and who knows? Maybe if they play their cards right, it's going to be 2,000 all over again where they end up with four first-round picks in one draft. Not that those four first-round picks turned into Hall of Famers, but still, the more shots you get, the more lottery tickets you have, the better the chance that you have it. At- and having a transformational draft that turns you into a year-in and year-out contender.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, there there is some things there. We know Sam Darnold's there. Uh, and, you know, listen, like Pete our, our our one of our producers here, he goes, are the Jets wasting the rookie contract window of, of, uh, of Sam Darnold? Yeah, they are. They're wasting it. But, you know, there's nothing they can do. The team was built badly around them. They haven't put a lot of talent around them. You know, Adam Gase got handed over a piece of crap. I don't know what else anybody expects. I mean, like, what, what does people think Adam Gase was handed here in New York with this football team? You know, offensive line, crappy, you know, wide receivers. Okay, one's injured. The one, you know, one guy had some off-the-field issue and had talent. Okay, they get rid of him in free agency. Defense. I mean, there's nothing to talk about on defense. Jamal Adams was the only guy to talk about, really. Yeah, we got some hopeful guys in Quinnen Williams. Okay, here we go. What else is on the team right now? I mean, that's it. So Joe Douglas has gone back to square one. And I think him and Matt and Joe Douglas coming from Philly and Baltimore, he knows how to build a football team. And Adam Gase, this ain't his first rodeo, too. I still have faith in this group here that they're going to get this right. But uh, yeah, you, you already said it. The prior regimes left this franchise in a crappy place. You're not going to fix it in one or two years to where it is right now. There's nothing to talk about on that team from the prior regime. So they're starting from scratch. We'll see where it goes. This is a good start with some of these assets they got from this trade.
0: One name you did not mention was Le'Veon Bell. Oh, yeah. And and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Mike McKagan, the last GM, he got grifted to a certain extent by Bell's agent because he was led to believe that the Ravens were legitimate players for Le'Veon Bell at or about the same financial range that the Jets landed, which was much higher than whatever the next offers would have been. Remember, the 49ers oh, I were know. interested yep. if it would have been like $5 million a year less in total salary. But the thing is, and this is something that I, I don't think gets mentioned enough, a high-end running back is useless to a team that does not have an offense around him. The high end running back is the last piece, not the first piece. That's the right. first piece is the offensive line. The second piece is the quarterback. The third piece is the pass catchers. Once you have the threat of a run of a passing game, then you go all in with a running back that is going to make a huge difference. But here's the reality, if you have all that other stuff, you don't need to pay a ton of money for a running back because any running back you plug in there is going to do pretty damn well because you've got the passing game to keep the defense off balance. But Le'Veon Bell, it was a mistake. And, and, and it, in hindsight, it wasn't. Regardless of his talent, it's a mistake to build from the outside in. you got to build your offense from the inside out. And, and these are some of the things that the Jets are now trying to deal with on the fly as they transform this team into something other than what it's been, Chris.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, you're exactly right. And, I mean, Mike, that's it's like spot on. I mean, you, you don't start there. You don't. You don't give a guy a chance. I don't care if they had Le'Veon Bell. We brought Barry Sanders, Jim Brown back. They're not going anywhere with that offensive line and what they had blocking in front of them last year. So, yeah, you haven't – you know, they haven't even given Le'Veon Bell enough support to really show what he can really do. Now, hopefully this is the year. You know, hopefully he can show it. Uh, but but you're right there's been some failures in the proper way to build a football team here in New York I, I and again I think Joe Douglas is the guy that's going to do it um, but yeah they're not one player away one step away and you know just as we know Le'Veon Bell I don't think he's the happiest that Jamal Adams tried to get out of town either are we going to get into that now or are we going to do that later
0: uh, well, I mean, let's let's we can let's touch on it briefly now. Okay. It's some Twitter back and forth between Le'Veon Bell and Jamal Adams. Uh, Le'Veon Bell did not like the fact that Adams wanted out because apparently Jamal Adams, one of the key voices in getting Le'Veon Bell to sign on with the Jets in 2019, Jamal Adams, saying as little as he ever does, noted, CU week 14, Le'Veon Bell." Kind of interpreting that as a potential threat. I don't know that it's a threat. It's a reality. The two teams get together in Seattle December 13 under the current schedule. And it'll be interesting to see what happens when Le'Veon Bell and Jamal Adams encounter each other on the football field. But uh, uh, look, uh, this is what happens when you have not only a guy who all of a sudden wants out, but a guy who is so committed to getting out that it does do damage. Like, you know, if you want out, that's fine. But don't. Don't create a mess for the rest of us. That's the, right. The, the comments on Friday, especially if Jamal Adams had any inkling he's getting out, it's gratuitous and it's unfair to his former teammates because now they have to clean up the mess. That's right. That Jamal Adams made by deciding to go scorched earth on the head coach. Yeah,
1: that, that's really the big issue there. I mean, yeah, obviously Le'Veon Bell, Bell feels a little burned by the fact that Jamal Adams recruited him there, probably pounded on the table, told Jets guys to get Le'Veon Bell there, and then he wants out. Like, yeah, but you're right. That's the point is yeah, he's made a mess, and now, like, Frank Gore has to answer questions over the weekend about Adam Gase and the Jets and the organization, and it's something he has nothing to do with, and it's going to go in right into training camp, and then, yes, this is going to become a story. You know, because uh, of course this is, everyone's latching onto this up here and I don't think it's right. You know, and I don't, I don't think the jumping on the Adam Gase thing, that's the part I just don't understand right now. And we're all going to take the word of a guy who we know didn't want to be here and was doing everything he could get out. And now we're going to like make him the jump off point to be like, oh yeah, he's right. No, I mean, he, he, did, he was doing whatever he could to get the hell out of here. Had nothing to do, really, with Adam Gaze. He was just making sure he was going to push a button every other day to make sure it pissed the Jets off to maybe he could get out and, and get to where he wanted. So that's all there is to that, and uh, I, just, I, I don't want to see it become a thing here or a story as we go on.
0: On the way to our first break of the day, here's Jamal Adams' tweet, the message to the Seahawks organization and fans. You have a man on a mission, a man all in on winning a Super Bowl, being the best leader and teammate he can be, and a man who will give everything he has to the city of Seattle and to the 12s across the world. Thank you for believing in me. And I believe in that 100%. The question is, what happens if and when Jamal Adams isn't happy with his contract, with the scheme, with the offense, with the coaching staff, with anything else? Because he's proven in his three years in the NFL and this goes back to Todd Bowles when he doesn't like something he says so and the Seahawks are going to have to deal with that the first time there's something Jamal Adams doesn't like all right let's take a break when we return the NFL and the NFLPA have a deal we're going to have training camp we hope we're going to have a season we're going to get into some of the parameters that the two sides agreed on when PFT Live continues right after this Well, it took some time, it took some effort, but they have a deal. There's J.J. Watt outside NRG Stadium. They are ready to roll. Training camp's open tomorrow. They open with several days of COVID-19 testing. It will be a gradual phase-in period, a ramp-up period. No one's putting pads on until the middle of August, Chris. That's usually when we're halfway through the preseason. No preseason at all this year as everyone gets ready for week one, and that's going to be the focus, getting all the players ready for week one, either with 80 guys from the get-go, or if you go with 90, you can have 90 until August 16. You have to have a split squad. I think most teams are probably going to opt to just have 80 and keep everyone together. The commissioner said after the deal was reached reach Friday night, training camps will begin as scheduled. We are committed to playing a safe and complete 2020 season. And I think that word complete, I, I think that word can be interpreted in multiple ways. It doesn't mean 256 games. It just means we're going to complete it with a Super Bowl championship that is given to someone just like in 1982 when there were nine regular season games due to the strike 1987 when there were replacement players for multiple weeks and 15 regular season games right nobody puts an asterisk on those Lombardi trophies who knows what will happen this year but they're going forward and I think that that even if there are hiccups along the way even if there are outbreaks along the way even if they have to cancel individual games or entire weeks they're committed to getting this season in completed with someone winning the Super Bowl and then move on to 2021.
1: Yeah, well, I, I appreciate, you know, their their stubbornness that way. I do. They are committed. And, you know, it's something we hit on in the opening. You know, I, I do think that, you know, hey, NFL coaches, front office people, they're a little frustrated because a lot of this stuff is just getting figured out and they don't have all the laws of the land. But they're starting to see a little bit here come about and they're starting to get a feel for how things are going to go down. You know, these guys are in their facilities for the most part. They're seeing what's being done, you know, to make it all work. And, you know, just talking from really talking and texting to a few of my friends throughout the league. I think all of them feel, yeah, better now that they've been in the office and seen what's going down here. So we'll see. It was a major step, certainly that they got some of these details figured out. Now, You know, the big thing to me here is I know we said we're starting on time, right? We're starting on time, but we're not really starting on time because they're going to get there, right? And then it's going to be four or five days of having to go through some certain protocols, which to me, this is where I just worry about it. Like, okay, so now it's four or five days and let's maybe it doesn't happen to six or seven days to everything gets figured out. You know, now we're going into this period of we're going to train and get ready. And then, okay, now the pads period's been bumped back just a little farther and I just I just hope we can get it all in before week one. That's the only thing I'm worried about right now as an ex-player and a guy that worries about the players and all of that. What do you too. mean
0: by getting it all in? Well, just you get
1: the players ready, having them ready to go and really saying that they're physically in shape and ready to take on the physical rigors of, of an NFL football season, just as we've talked about with years without you know, the last CBA deal. You, know, you said it last week, injury rates were up, what, a little over 25 percent I just worry about that that's all I'm saying but either way I do feel a lot more confident about some of the steps that have been put in place here as of late
0: well that's why they didn't want to have a preseason because you didn't want to rush guys yeah. onto a field in a game setting when they have limited opportunity to be as as healthy and prepared as they could be but you know I, I and this is something that I think we need to be thinking about and talking about in the coming weeks. How many teams will treat this like a 12-game season with a four-game preseason? It just so happens those four games in September count in the standings. But will we see, for example, in Chicago, where they don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be, will we see both Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky in September instead of August when the competition would have been resolved? Will we see a rotation more aggressively on an offensive line where some backups get real playing time in September? Will we see more use of the reserves? Uh, For two reasons. Number one, your starters may not be in ideal shape. And number two, doesn't it make sense to have every guy on your roster at least in some sort of game shape and some sort of game preparedness in the event that there's a guy who is otherwise a starting offensive lineman who is positive for COVID-19 and now the backup gets thrown into the fray, at least he would have been playing some. So, Chris, I think that, that this unique year needs to get teams thinking very differently about the first month of the season. It's almost a hybrid regular season, preseason from the standpoint of making sure your guys are ready for October, November, December.
1: Yeah, no. Uh, well, I think that's the one thing that's jumped out to me, Mike, just from talking to people around the NFL – you know the the you're going into training camp this year, and really what's happening is you're going let's get ready for week one. That's all you're worried about, and so it, you're going to see high-level game planning and really all your eggs in the let's get ready for week one and try to win that game basket. And to me, that's where it also I look at and just just another thought that came to my head, whether you got 80 or 90 guys, and because you got no preseason and things like that too, I just feel like a lot of those back-end roster guys are going to get used this summer more than ever. You know, they're going to be used really to go and, hey, you know, oh yeah, you got a chance to make the team wink, wink, but we really need need you over there for scout team for the 70th rep today because we're trying to win week one and we kind of know the 53 that's going to make the team yeah there's seven or eight of you on there that we're not sure about but we kind of know so we're going to get them ready and we're going to kind of use the rest of you on the back end to just help us get ready and that's unfortunate because you know some of those back end guys we know are not going to get a chance to play in the preseason or maybe get the reps that they usually would and free agency late draft picks that might make a team but that's so be it and I think that's It's going to be more of the approaches this year, maybe. We'll
0: see. Let me add this point to that. that Right. To the extent that one of those guys at the back end of the roster sufficiently flashes and you get to a comfort level with him during training camp that you could maybe roll with him as a starter or a key contributor, the opportunity is going to be presented to shed expensive veterans, save money in a year where you're not going to be getting your regular game day revenue, Yeah, and bump cap space – to next year one of the realities of this new deal is the fact that they've already accounted for next year being down and the salary cap would have been as low as 130 million dollars per team even if they play all the games what they've done through this agreement they have guaranteed that the salary cap will be no lower than 175 million that's still 23 million plus lower than it is this year so any cap dollars you save this year can be kicked to next year to give you more room to breathe. And there are some teams out there like the Eagles, Saints, Falcons, Chiefs, Steelers, Bears, Raiders, Vikings, all according to OverTheCap.com. They're going to be in a mess next year under the salary cap. If they have that young guy that they can pay $600,000 to this year and they can move on from a veteran that's due to make $6 million or squeeze him into taking $2 million, every dollar saved this year is real money in the bank and it's salary caps based on the ledger for next year. So I, I, the cynical side of me is I agree with you that a lot of these guys are going to be cannon fodder, but whoever shows they can be more than cannon fodder is going to have a chance to make the team because as it relates to management of your roster, there's an opportunity there to shed some expensive salaries and create some cap space for next
1: year. Yeah, no, that's a very real aspect, Mike. It's something that I, I still probably haven't wrapped my head around yet to think about it all the way. Like, you know, even as I was going through my spiel, you know, and as soon as you cut in there, I, I knew you were going to go there. And I was like, you know, you're right. It's, 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 it's going to be a thing this year. We're going to see some names that I don't think we expect to see come cut time in the NFL because of some of those issues and what you're talking about, too. And also, you know, you know, I don't know how this affects coaches or whatever it may be here, but when you talk about those bottom roster guys, you're getting down to your final 53. And most, like we've said, most teams know going into training camp the 42, 43 guys that are going to make the team. And there's just, you know, 7, 8, 10 spots that are kind of up for grabs. You know, this is a year where, yeah, you're going to, the coach is going to have to take a little bit more of a guess than normal. You know, I don't know if they're gonna get the true evaluation of some of those guys. And you know, they're just gonna to have to kind of take a shot in the dark with the guy that they feel the most comfortable with, or maybe it comes down to like what you're saying. Okay, yeah, here's a veteran we're a little more comfortable with by just a smidgen over a young guy, but oh, that veteran's making a ton of money compared to that young guy. All right, the hell with that veteran who's just a smidgen better. Let's get rid of him and go with the young guy. And I think you're right, those are the, that, that that's the hopeful thing for those guys. this year uh that maybe gives them a little bit of benefit of the doubt and the fact that they didn't get to prove themselves in OTAs and training camp
0: hey we don't know what kind of shape these veterans are in as they walk through the door the coaches are either going to be impressed or they're going to be saying holy crap what did you eat over the last six months because they have not been around these guys at all one last thing before we take a break we got plenty more to talk about as relates to the NFL NFL PA agreement the agreement consists of a specific list of prohibited activities. Oh yes. That, look, I think it's it's there for a deterrent effect, right? I I, I doubt anyone other than the Patriots is going to have security tailing guys to <laughs> see if they go to the nightclub or 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 do any of these other things. You can't go to indoor nightclubs, indoor bars except to pick up food, indoor house parties with 15 or more people, indoor concerts, professional sporting events other than presumably your own, or indoor church services that allow attendance above 25% of capacity. You can be fined. If you test positive, they can fight whether or not they have to pay you. You can have guaranteed money that's forfeited. I really do think that this is just a way to scare sure. the young players into not doing things they shouldn't do. I, now, I, the teams aren't going to say that, but from our perspective, I, we look at it and say, it's it's going to be a pain in the butt to fight your players on whether or not they broke these rules. The reality is this is your hammer when the coach right. or the veteran quarterback is saying to these guys – you go home and you stay home every night for five months.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, this applies a little more guilt to the situation, too. You know, like if some di- guy does do wrong or do that, you, hey, we got rules. We read you the rules. You know the rules. They're right there on the walls. You walk out of the locker room every day. But the big thing will be this to me, and this is why I, like to, I agree with what you're saying. At the end of the day, I think the locker room is going to police itself. And that's what I think is going to happen. You know, I think self police itself. Yeah, self police itself. And I, this is where I call on the Fletcher Coxes and the Aaron Donalds and the Khalil Max of the world to where, you know, if you hear guys on the team that you feel like are not acting appropriately outside of the facility, damn, you got to lay the smack down. You got to let them know it's just not acceptable. I mean, there's really, there's no other way to say it. Those, the veteran leaders on these teams are going to have to keep the young guys in check and do their best to stay on top of them and make them feel, you know, threatened or scared a little bit that they might ruin everybody's season and, and have that guilt laying over them that way. Hey,
0: and here's the other thing too, right? Anywhere these guys go, right? people are going to have these. And TMZ is going to be very happy, right and there's going to be a lot of citizen journalism. We are all big brother in this. What day about and the a, hotline? So.
1: I think they should have a hotline too. I like that the NBA does that where the players can call on other players you know uh, and, and you know be anonymous and telling each other. Hey.
0: And here's the thing, the way they've done this deal, you get paid as you play. If games are scrapped, you don't get paid for that game. yeah. So if there's only 14 weeks in the season, you lose two sixteenths of your salary and you've got an incentive yes collectively smart. all players in the league right. have an incentive and it's not just it's not just Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers it's every player on every team because if they start saying at ah, week three we can't do it week seven we can't do it and they end up playing 13 games 12 games whatever They all lose. So that's the ultimate incentive. Not just wanting to play football, but wanting your money. Yeah. That is what is going to keep these younger guys in line. And I think some of the guys that may get the final roster spots, I think the GM and the coach need to put their heads together and say,
1: Can we trust this guy? Yeah, I agree. Do we trust this guy? The talent's
0: relatively equal. Right. But do we trust this guy? Yeah. Right? This guy's married. I think He's got a couple of little kids. Right. He's going to go home and he's going to stay home. This guy's single. And we've gotten to know him a little bit. Yeah, he likes And he seems like he likes, he likes having to have, have a good time. Right, right. And yeah. it seems like he's got, you know, he gives in to his friends. Right. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep this guy instead. And I think that the veteran leadership on the team is going to lobby for that, too. They're going to want a locker room full of
1: guys who can be trusted to
0: act like professionals. Chris, that's going to be a real dynamic this year.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, Mike. I think it is. You know, I I think uh, teams, GMs, head coaches have got to think about that aspect. And, you know, I think you're right. The incentive about just knowing to go, man, if I'm smart and, you know, don't do anything stupid here, I can continue to get paid and get paid big checks and and continue my life and and further my career. And I think that is a big incentive. But, yeah, I think it's going to be on the players and the teams and the coaches to really to hold these guys accountable and stay on their butts
0: let's take a break coming up one of the topics we've been discussing for weeks now the ability of a player to say no thank you i'm not playing in 2020 i'll see you in 2021 we've already got one player who's walked away how many will choose to opt out we'll take that up coming up here on pro football talk Lauren DuVernay-Tardif of the Kansas City Chiefs, the first player and the only player so far to opt out of the 2020 season. He is a doctor. He explained Friday night on social media, being at the front line during this offseason has given me a different perspective on this pandemic and the stress it puts on individuals and our healthcare system. I cannot allow myself to potentially transmit the virus in our communities simply to play the sport that I love. If I am to take risks, I will do it caring for patience that's a strong statement and i think that statement may have been lost on some of the teammates and coaches that praised him what he's basically saying is none of us should be doing this none of us should be potentially transmitting the virus in our communities just to play football now he's not preaching but that's the inescapable conclusion kind of he doesn't believe it's justified this year chris we'll see whether or not others agree with him whether it's for that more humanitarian reason like uh Lauren Duvernay Tardif has utilized, or whether it's, I'm worried about myself, I'm worried about family members, uh, I'm just not comfortable this year, whatever the case may be. They have another week to tap out if they're going to tap out. If you do it, it's irrevocable. And if you let August 3 pass without doing it, you are locked in. You cannot walk away. There is one limited exception. You can have a change circumstances. Where if someone close to you gets sick or dies over it, then you can say, "Okay, hey, hey, hang on, I'm yeah, out." Right. But for the most part, if you are still there a week from now, you're there all season long, and if you leave, you're breaching your contract.
1: Well, you know, again, this is a this is a different guy. You know, this is this is uh, first off, he's a doctor. Yeah, he's extremely smart. We know that he's been on the front line here, so he's really had a lot of experiences dealing with the you know COVID nineteen pandemic, COVID nineteen pandemic, what it's doing to our country. So he's seeing the worst of this. And you know, again, I'll say this too. Hey, listen, he has the luxury of saying, "I'm a doctor," and I can do that. Going on, you know, further in life, a lot of guys in football don't have that luxury. Uh, no, football is it. That's what they're best at. And they're going to have to try to make that work. And go from there. But, you know, uh, this is a tough blow for a team that we know is uh, the Super Bowl contender. But they made an appropriate signing this uh, this weekend, too, to make up for, you know, uh, the, the the missed right guard here. And uh, DuVernay Tardif, I guess, I, I choke when I say his name. Um, so they, they at least have made some action there to fill in that with Calaccio Semeli. And we'll see if that works. I still think he's got some good years in, in front of him as well.
0: I mean, there was a time when Assembly was the marquee yes. offensive lineman in free agency when he jumped from the Ravens to the Raiders. It kind of fell apart for him latter years in Oakland. And then with the Jets, it didn't work out. I don't know that this is apples to apples, but at least it shows the Chiefs have a plan and they're going to do what they have to do to replace DuVernay Tardif. And uh, and you got to be ready. And this is why when we brought up the question last week of the Chiefs or the field for Super Bowl 55, you got to go with the field because you never know how this virus is going to affect a given team. Now we didn't anticipate that a starting offensive lineman would immediately opt out for 2020, but we never know what's going to occur. Who's going to test positive? When a key player is going to be absent for a key game? It's just part of the uncertainty for this year. For the opt-outs, and again, I, I've been trying to get a feel for how many guys. Are going yeah, going to so say, Some what do you think? think? It's only going
1: to, what do you think your gut I, tells you? I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be a much, a handful throughout the whole league, is what my gut is telling me.
0: Single digits is what people keep telling me, right. but here's the thing: you don't have to make a decision now. Now it's clear that Duvernay-Tardif knew that this is what he was going to do no matter what, and he was waiting for the deal to be finalized. He'd already made his decision, and he announced it right away. Everybody else has another week. There's no reason to announce it. There may be guys who know they're going to do it, but why not take the full week and and think about it? Maybe you wake up one day and change your mind. Once you tell the team you're out, you are out, period. Even if you tell them you're out before the deadline. So there could be some guys who are thinking about it. There could be some guys who are contemplating it. And there's no reason, if they haven't made a final decision, to tell anyone about it today. You know, flip it around. How many guys have said, definitively, they're not opting out? Now, that doesn't mean that everyone is thinking about it, but there's no reason. There's no reason to say it now unless you are 100% certain that it's what you're going to do. A couple of things to keep in mind, too. There is a stipend that's available for the players who opt out. If you fall into the high-risk category, you get $350,000. If you don't fall into the high-risk category, you get $150,000. It's not free money. It's an advance on salary to be earned next year. So when you do come back, for example, Duvernay Tardif will get $150,000. His salary this year was supposed to be $2.75 million. He'll make $2.6 million in 2021. His contract tolls a full year. He gets $150,000 now. He gives up $150,000 later. And if, you know, at one point a GM said to me, well, if I'm an undrafted free agent and I know I've got no chance of making the team, I just opt out and I get $150,000. The problem is, if you don't make the team next year, you owe $150,000, which means you're going to have a team potentially chasing you around as a former employee to pay back that 150000 Is that so, just the undrafted not,
1: free agents? Like it, No, it, it's
0: anybody. No, you've got to make the team next Do year. Even DuVernay
1: Tardy, if he got his 150000 he goes in there next year and they somehow cut him from the team, wow, he'd have to pay back 150000
0: Now... It's quite possible the Chiefs would say we're going to waive that, right? Right. right yeah. Right. But but that's the way it works. Because okay. I, I think they didn't want they didn't want that category of guys yeah. to think. You know what? I, I'm probably done anyway. And I'll just take the free – this is basically my gold watch on the way out the door. You know, I wasn't really – I was probably – this is going to be my last year, and I really am not into it, and I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. I'm good. I'll opt out. I'll take the money right. and then see you later. So I think they don't want it to be abused. They want it to truly be there as money that helps guys get through this year with the understanding that they will be back next year. But it, it, does, it does give – it gives the team a little, a little uh, weapon for 2021 if there are some guys that are on the fence that, that did opt out. Uh, If they get cut, they have to pay that money back. But I I agree with you. We're not going to be talking, I believe, about a lot of guys who do it. At the end of the day, guys want to play football. And there's too much money on the line, and that is where I think it's going to go. There is another wrinkle, though, with the potential opt-out that we're going to talk about at the top of the next hour. For now, though, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with more PFT Live right after this.